to all that we know, they are godly. They are disciple makers. Uh, we sure hope they can teach. Uh, but but we, we invite them, uh, we train them, and uh, we think they do a great job year over year. So you need to know th- these are not staff people. These are people uh, that have day jobs um, and, and like most people in this room. And so uh, it's actually a delight to get to hear them teach. So I'm gonna quit giving you the overview of the summer and I'm gonna introduce our speaker tonight. Uh, his name's Mike. Uh, don't hold that against him. Uh, he is, uh, let's see, he's the father of two and the husband of one, uh, which is the way we like it around here. <clears throat> uh, he's a banker. Don't hold, him, don't hold that against him. Uh, he is from Willis, Texas. Uh, and yeah, I don't know where that is either. So, uh, but he's proud of it. Their high school mascot was the Wildcats. They spelled it with a K. Uh, spelling is not their forte. Uh, he is a grown man, and yet he's got a hobby of mosh pitting. So I don't, I don't know if I get it, but, you know, people love what they love. Um, the one sort of brief fun fact I, I recently learned about him is that he, um, he injured himself. He injured himself at a wedding. Uh, somehow, someway, a rusty, like, hose hanger, somehow he, he, you know, got up against it. I don't know how you do that. But he, he cut himself. He got so bloody, he missed the rehearsal dinner of a family, mini, uh, family member's wedding. Good news is he made the wedding the next day. He got the bleeding to stop. He got some absorbent material and was able to make it through the wedding. Uh, and, uh, and so he's, he's an interesting guy. So I don't know how you hurt yourself on a, on a you know, hose hanger. But, but tonight's speaker, uh, we can just call him um, Rusty Bum Mosh Pit Mike. Let's welcome Mike Threadgill. Love it. Um, yeah, that was a very kind interpretation of that story. Uh, the long story short, I impaled myself on a longhorn, and uh, it hit me where the sun don't shine, to say the least. Uh, so uh, yeah, it was not fun. But uh, thank you, Wes, for that introduction. Uh, as he said, my name is Mike Threadgill. I've been coming to GBC now for about eight years. And it is so fun, guys, it is so fun uh, to get to open up God's Word tonight and teach it. Uh, that said, maybe the, that previous story already said this, I, I think I should come out clean and say that I am not brave or courageous by going first. I am far from it, and I cannot let y'all leave here tonight thinking that. Uh, nothing against tonight's text. Uh, I just didn't want to go first. You see, they send out this Google Sheet doc uh, to sign up for the week's. And I am frantically trying to go for week three. Y'all, frantically. And I don't know where Sam Kite is, but he beat me to it. And I'm seeing all the weeks get taken up. I finally just texted Daniel, and I was like, well, I guess I'll take week one. So here, here we are. But in all seriousness, I am so excited to be kicking us off tonight. And you might not know this, uh, but all summer we're going to be going through the life of Moses, and who's an extremely important character uh, in the Old Testament, but also in so many ways he is pointing us directly to Christ. And so tonight, as you might expect, we're going to start in the beginning. Tonight, we're going to start with the birth of Moses. So if you would, please now flip with me to Exodus 2, verses 1 through 10. And y'all, this text, you may be thinking, okay, it's only 10 verses. This should go quick. Uh, But this has it all. This text has a love story, some family drama. There's mass killings, 
a royal family, and there's, there's even a gender reveal. But the thing I don't want you to miss, the thing I want you to see in the text, the thing that's in the background, and it is subtle, but it is God's sovereignty. The fact that God is orchestrating all things, both big and small, to achieve his good purposes. And the question I want in the back of your mind, the question I want you to consider as we progress through tonight's text is this. How far does God's sovereign goodness extend? And to say it a little differently, can God overcome evil in this world with his good purposes? Can he take suffering in our life and turn it into joy? Given the world around us, and given the fact that we will all inevitably face hardship in our lives, I think that is an extremely, or those are extremely important questions. And the good news, the good news is our text tonight will help us come to an answer. So with that said, let me take some time to pray for our evening, uh, and then we'll start with Exodus 2, verses 1 through 4. Uh, Lord, thank you uh, for this evening. Just thank you uh, for the rain. Thank you for all the people that are in this room, uh, just opening up your word. And Lord, I just ask that you use me uh, and just let the words flow. We love you. It's in your son, Jesus Christ, name we pray. Amen. Okay, Exodus 2, verses 1 through 4. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it with bitmen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Okay. So the first thing we see in this text is that there's a baby and he's being placed in a basket down by the river. The obvious question is why? Why is this mom hiding her baby and then putting him in a basket down by the river? To give a quick backstory or to kind of set the stage, the Israelites ended up in Egypt after Joseph had brought them there and Joseph had worked at the right hand of Pharaoh and he had a lot of power and influence within Egypt. Once in Egypt, the Hebrews, the term the Egyptians used for the Israelites, really took to the whole be fruitful and multiply uh, because their families were growing like crazy. So fast forward, Joseph's generation has passed, and there's a new pharaoh in town. And this pharaoh has no love, y'all, and I mean no love for the Hebrews. He even fears them. He's afraid that there are too many of them, and they will overthrow him. So what does he do? He enslaves them, and not only that, he orders the death of all male Hebrew babies. In fact, he orders that the Egyptians throw the male Hebrew babies into the Nile River. Take a minute now, and I want you to picture that Egypt in your mind, one of oppression, one of slavery, this culture of death. Now let's return to the text and see what all this has to do with Moses. In verse 1, we see that Moses' parents are Levites, a family of Hebrews living in Egypt. The second verse is telling us that the parents have a baby boy. Are the parents excited? Do they throw a party with a bunch of blue balloons or have one of those stork things in the front yard? No, right? There's no celebration. There's no party. Instead, these parents were faced with a decision. Give him up to die or defy Pharaoh by hiding him. Let's take a step back here because we read this text, and I included in this, can feel so disassociated from this story. This happened thousands of years ago in the middle of some desert. We're reading this story in Houston, Texas, in an air-conditioned room after eating a good meal. So it can be difficult to resonate with this family. It's hard to fathom, right, where your children are living in an area in perpetual danger. Y'all, 
Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 1.9, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Why do I say that? I point to that scripture because it might be hard to resonate with that family here, in, or with us here in Houston, but this is happening in the world today. And we don't need to look back thousands of years ago either for examples. Do you guys remember about two years ago now the Afghan women tossing their babies to American soldiers during the U.S. withdrawal? Do you all remember the, those images from that time? Mothers so desperate to save their children, they were handing them off to complete strangers. Those mothers didn't know if they would see their children again. Those mothers felt that their children were safer in the hands of strangers than staying with them in Afghanistan. So when we read this text, think about those recent images. Imagine you're one of those desperate mothers trying to save your child. Let's read verse 3 again. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it with bitmen and pitch. And y'all, take my word for it. Uh, Landon Newman can confirm this, but bitmen and pitch, he is, or she is waterproofing the basket here. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. This mother has faithfully disobeyed Pharaoh's orders now for three months by hiding her son. We are not told why she can no longer hide him, just that she can't. The mother's in waterproofing a basket and placing him in the reeds by the riverbank. I think it's important to highlight here that Moses' mom is not abandoning him. She didn't just leave him in some random spot to die. No. She's thoughtful. She's careful. Meticulous, even. She's waterproof in the basket, right? She cares for her son, and she wants to protect him and give him the best odds of survival. You see, the mother faced the reality that she couldn't protect her son forever. She isn't sovereign over her son's well-being. She could hide him, waterproof a basket, but ultimately, ultimately, she doesn't have the power to guarantee his safety. We often try to create these bubble of protections around ourselves or our spouse or our kids. But just like Moses' mom, we cannot guarantee protection. And I too struggle with this. One of my buddies calls me JP for Joe Paranoid because I try to plan for everything that can go wrong. <laughs> but guys, we can either keep trying to hopelessly protect or control our lives, or we can put our hope in God. See, about two years ago, <clears throat> my wife and I found ourselves at Texas Children's Hospital uh, with our son, Dave. Uh, Dave was six months old at the time, and he had had RSV, and he was having a really tough time breathing on his own, so they were having to give him oxygen to help support his breathing. And for those of you that don't know, or maybe the non-parents in the room, RSV uh, can be pretty serious for infants, and it can even be fatal in some ca cases. And this is our first son, you know, our first child. We we're scared. Um, we didn't know what to expect. And so that time period really brought up a lot of uncertainty for us. Seeing our child in pain, feeling helpless, not knowing when or if he's going to be okay, it was awful. I mean, truly awful. It was emo emotionally draining. But thankfully, though, after three days in the hospital, we walked out of there with a healthy baby boy. I think about that time in my life, and I can relate in some ways to Moses' mom, but not fully. See, she dealt with fear, uncertainty, not knowing if her child was going to be okay. You know, I dealt with that for three days. This mother has dealt with that for three months. I can't fathom how emotionally spent she must have felt. 
And we now see her leaving her son on a riverbank, having no clue what is going to happen to him next. And this is uncomfortable, right? Because so much in our life is uncertain. Like we very rarely know what's coming next, no matter how airtight our plans may seem. You see, we try to plan the perfect life, right? We try to convince ourselves that we determine the outcome for our lives, that we are in control. We plan, we save, we exercise. Y'all, and all in these things, we think our money or our status or our health is going to make us safe, that they make us secure, that they make the future certain, but we are fooling ourselves. Life can be shattered by a thousand unknowns, things that are well beyond our control. So in light of that, how do we bear the uncertainty? How do we bear not knowing what God's plan is for our life? The answer is we have faith. Just like Moses' parents were driven by their faith to God during this time, and we're explicitly told this in Hebrews 11, that they trusted God more than they feared Pharaoh. And we can do that knowing that the things are unclear to us. The things that seem uncertain to us, those things are clear to God. They are certain to him. He has all the knowledge that we lack. Nothing surprises him. Nothing is out of his control. Nothing will thwart his plans. As I said earlier, he is sovereign. And so I want you to think, when life brings uncertainty at your doorstep, and it will, Where or what will you turn to? Moses' mom gives us a great example. In the face of extreme uncertainty, she recognizes that she can only trust in God. She puts her faith in him. That leads to action by leaving her baby in a basket by a riverbank. So what happens next? Let's pick up in verse 5, and I'm going to read all the way through verse 9. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young woman walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Okay. You know, imagine the drama that is in this text. And what I mean by that is that we know Moses' sister, Miriam, that's Moses' sister, is watching from afar to see what is going to happen to her baby brother. But what we don't see is the fear and anticipation in her eyes. Because imagine waiting helplessly from afar and only seeing the daughter of Pharaoh come and pick up your baby brother. Pharaoh being the guy that ordered the death of your baby brother. If this were a movie, we would get the close-up of Miriam's face, right? The intense background music, heart beating through the speakers. But does Pharaoh's daughter react the way that Miriam would expect? No. Pharaoh's daughter has pity on Moses. This is in direct defiance to her father's wishes. We know from Exodus 1 that Pharaoh commanded all of his people, including his daughter, to cast Hebrew boys into the Nile. Now, his own daughter is pulling a Hebrew boy out of the Nile. We too 
too often overlook the, I call them the minor heroes in the Bible or even in our own lives. I say minor not to diminish in any way their actions, but to simply say they often play a small but pivotal role in God's story. The text says, Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Now Miriam's a slave, and she walks up and openly speaks to Pharaoh's daughter, someone of royalty. And not only does she speak to her, but she offers a suggestion that is in direct opposition to that of Pharaoh himself. So has God placed any minor heroes in your life? Someone that maybe played a small but pivotal role in your life. Y'all, whenever I, I think of all the people God has used to bring me to faith, I immediately think of two minor heroes. And for me, it was the summer of 2013. Uh, I had just moved to Houston, Texas. I didn't know many people here. And so what does a young single guy do? I decide to throw a party at my apartment. And y'all, it was Facebook invite and all. I'm sending it to the few people I know. They respond back. We're coming. Awesome, right? Day of party, zero people showed. Every single person bailed. And y'all, y'all think walking into a restaurant and asking for a table for one is sad? Throw a party for yourself. That is sadder. <laughs> I promise you. So... Thankfully, though, two of my coworkers, Kelsey and Bailey, took me to lunch a few weeks later, and they invited me to a Bible study. Uh, it was called Priority Associates at the time. I know Mike Moore's in the room and another hero. Uh, but I wasn't following Christ at the time. And honestly, I was willing to do just about anything to meet people at that point. So I attended the Bible study, And I quickly realized I was missing something because the people in that room were different. And we talk a lot about this here, but they were true ambassadors of Christ. And some of those people are in this room tonight, and I can't thank you enough. I started following Christ pretty soon after that, but I resort back to, I am so thankful, I'm so thankful for those women and their invitation to that Bible study. Because in addition to the people in our lives, like my friends Kelsey and Bailey, I think it's important to highlight that God can also use circumstances for his purposes. In Moses' story, we see that God provided the timing for Moses' sister to witness her brother being rescued by the princess. He provides Pharaoh's daughter the sight to pick up the basket in the reeds. He even places Pharaoh's daughter on the right section of the river. You see, the world would tell us that all of those things are coincidences or dumb luck. Say, reject that. Reject that wholeheartedly. That is God's handiwork and something that we should be in absolute awe of. Do you look for God's hand in your current circumstance or environment? Do you view the people that God has placed in your life right now as gifts? The people God has in your life right now are being used by God. And I recognize that you may view your circumstances as a burden right now. You may even view the people in your life as a burden. But God has placed you here for a reason. And he has placed those people in your life for a reason. Find comfort in that. Find comfort in knowing that there aren't coincidences with God or dumb luck. There's a plan at work. Leading up to verse 9, we see Moses' mom in some pretty undesirable circumstances. Circumstances we can all agree would be very difficult to find joy in. However, we see God provide her blessings during this time. So let's read verse 9 here again. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, 
take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. See, first, Moses' mom has found out that her baby boy's alive, right? The last time she saw him, he was alone on a riverbank. Two, she's told that she can nurse her own child and get paid for it. There's a lot of women in this room, I promise you, that would love to get paid to nurse their own children, <laughs> right? But third, she, can, she no longer has to hide. She can openly spend time with her son and not worried about him being found and killed. Y'all, the question here, the question here is, did Moses' mom deserve any of these blessings? Did she? God could have protected Moses by providing Pharaoh's daughter with another wet nurse. God could have let Moses' mom go the rest of her days not knowing what happened to her son. Moses' mom certainly didn't want to give up her son. I have no doubt that that would have been extremely difficult. That said, would Moses have lived if she didn't give him up? Would Moses later lead his people out of slavery if she didn't give him up? No, we don't know the answers to those questions. That said, we can be grateful that Moses did live and he did lead his people out of slavery. You know, as I was studying the text tonight, I was reminded of when I met my wife Paige and her family who's up here, they were going through some pretty uncertain times when we met. And I had met Paige over seven years ago after she moved back to Houston. And she moved back to Houston because her dad, David, had just been diagnosed with stage four stomach cancer. They didn't know if his treatments were gonna be successful or not. And I am thankful to say that over nine months, I got to know David as Paige and I dated. I was fortunate to get permission on March 19th, 2017, to marry his daughter. Sadly, he passed away the following day on March 20th. You see, if we had it our way, my wife's dad would never have gotten cancer or passed away. He would still be with us here. He'd be playing with his grandkids. That said, if he didn't get cancer, would my wife and I have met? Would we have gotten married? Would we have our two kids? Again, if I'm honest, I don't know the answers to those questions. But what I do know is I'm grateful that is our story. I am grateful for that season because through that, we did meet. And y'all, we don't always get to know the why behind our struggles. I think that's important to say, and I'll say it again. We don't always get to know the why behind our struggles. It is certainly a natural question to ask, but maybe, maybe, though, a question or prayer even we should have during those times is, God, what are you up to here? What are you teaching me through this? You see, for my wife and I, we got to witness a woman faithfully live out a vow, excuse me, she had made 35 years prior of sickness and in health and death to us part. We learned what those vows meant and the weight behind them. You see, guys, life doesn't always go the way we want it to, right? This world is broken. It is so evident. If this text taught me one thing, it's to be grateful for the blessings and the struggle because we don't deserve them. God does not have to give them to us. In our final text tonight, we see that Moses' mom, additional time with Moses coming to an end. So let's pick back up in verse 10. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. 
Y'all, in verse 10, we see that Moses goes to live with Pharaoh's daughter. Whenever I first read this, I'll be honest, I had such a disdain towards Pharaoh's daughter because she's taking Moses away from his parents. But y'all, this is a story about adoption. She is adopting a baby that was left on a riverbank, a boy that she would have been ordered to kill. So she's certainly taking a risk here by taking him in. But y'all, make no mistake about it. God is the hero in this story, not Pharaoh's daughter. God is the one that put this plan together. He is the one that gave Pharaoh's daughter the sight to see the basket in the reeds and pity in her heart. This adoption story was God's handiwork. And you see, we have something in common with Moses here. In Christ, we too are adopted into a royal family that we played no part in. We are not the heroes of our story. Our adoption was completely orchestrated and planned by God. So to close this thing out, I want to return to my original set of questions. How far does God's sovereign goodness extend? Can God overcome evil in this world with his good purposes? Can he take suffering and turn it into joy? To answer, what do we see in this story? Is God in control throughout this story? The answer is yes. Undeniably so, right? And this is not just because in verse 10 we see Moses going to live in Pharaoh's court, but also because we know the end of this story. We know that God would end up using this baby in a basket to lead his people out of slavery. And you might think, okay, of course. I get that God moves and works in the Bible. But what about for me? What about my life? You may be thinking, there's no good in the situation that I'm in. There's no joy at the road that I'm on. Maybe you've had a relative pass away or in a job that you hate or you're single and you don't want to be. It's easy to look around and ask, is God really in control here? Is he sovereign? Does he really overcome evil with his good purposes? Does he turn suffering into joy? Or is that only true for people like Moses, for people in the Bible? Again, to answer that question, I want you to think back over our story. And instead of just thinking of Moses, this time I want you to see Christ's story woven throughout the story of Moses. Moses was born into a time when baby boys were being slaughtered by a king that was worried that his power was in jeopardy. The same happened with Jesus, right? When Jesus was born, we seen King Herod slaughtering baby boys all throughout Bethlehem because he was threatened by a prophesied king. In the story of Moses, we see a parent give up her child for him to later come back and lead his people out of slavery. With Jesus, we see God give up his own son, but instead of just leading his people out of slavery in Egypt, Jesus leads us out of slavery to sin. Through his life, death, and resurrection, he breaks the chains of sin and death. He makes it possible for us to have a relationship with God. He makes it possible for us to live in freedom and joy and security. So does God overcome evil with his good purposes? Does God take suffering and turn it into joy? Is God really in control? Yes, 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 absolutely. And not just for some of us. 
for all of us. You see, no matter how dire your circumstances are, no matter how much pain you may be in, we can know that Jesus saved us from the ultimate suffering. We can be sure that by his blood and glorious resurrection, we will be in heaven with him. Regardless of what happens to us here on earth, whether we get the resolution or not, we will one day be with Jesus, the true and better Moses. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for tonight. Uh, just thank you for your word, Lord. I just hope that it just uh, sits on our heart. Uh, Lord, and I'm just so thankful for the friends here and just um, Thursday night Bible study. Uh, Lord, what a blessing it is and what a blessing you've given us. Uh, it's in your son, Jesus Christ, and we pray. Amen.